This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Today's podcast is going to be somewhat different than our uh, previous ones. Uh, with me today is a colleague and good friend, Dr. John Wilkinson. Uh, John's a family physician in the Department of uh, Family Medicine here in Mayo Clinic, Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, I am an internist working in the uh, Division of General Internal Medicine. And between the two of us, uh, I know John's had about 35, 37 years in practice. I've had the same, you know, combine that, and it's a whole bunch of years. So we're going to try to give some thoughts of what we've learned in a whole bunch of years uh, the only concern I have is if we're going to remember all of them, but uh, we're going to get started. So, John, thank you for being here. And why don't you get started? What, what, what's one thing that you can think of that would be important for a new physician who's just starting practice to know? I would say that. Uh, th- thank you for having me. It's great to be I'm here. I'm glad you're here. There were any number of things that I wish I had known uh, when uh, uh, I first started practice. Uh, uh, one of them is uh, how uh, the body has an, an excellent capacity to heal itself. And if we just leave things alone, things will often get better on their own. I sometimes wonder if many of the things we advise patients to do for uh, in the face of acute uh, problems, whether they be injuries or illnesses are mainly something to keep busy while we're waiting for the body to heal itself. Yeah. Well, I know you've worked urgent care as I have in uh, many years. And uh, on weekends, that waiting room would be just filled with people, usually with viral respiratory infections. And you know what they all wanted. They wanted antibiotics. So the trick was to uh, make sure they felt they had a good evaluation and maybe they wanted to leave with something. Well, one of the things that I often did uh, when I was working in urgent care uh, prior to the patient portal, when the uh, colleagues would say, well, yeah, they, they need something, they want something, I gave them my home phone number. <laughs> and people would say, oh my gosh, that, uh, that, that just is a recipe for all kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that people rarely phoned me, particularly people I, I didn't know, mm-hmm. but uh, I would make a... Uh, a uh, kind of a show of uh, writing, uh, taking out a prescription pad and, and uh, say, I'm going to give you my home phone number here. Mm-hmm. And if you have problems over the weekend or concerns, uh, please call me. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, as an, uh, it was a great substitute for unnecessary antibiotics. Well, that gets into getting to know our patients. And that has been one of the joys I've had in initially doing a primary care practice for almost 20 years. And now it's kind of a semi-primary uh, care practice. I, I see my patients back once a year in most cases, but it's been very enjoyable to get to know them. And I always write something in the social history that makes me remember them a bit when I see them back. You know, their son is starting medical school or uh, they just got a new dog, something that will trigger my memory about them to make them stand out. So I remember them for the next year. That's something that I've taught the students and the residents over the years as well. It, uh, it's surprising how easy it is and how infrequently 
people do that. Yep. And if you jot it down in the social history and, uh, and then take a minute or two to review the record before you walk in the room and you can ask about, well, now you're, your son must be about a third-year medical student. They think you're doing magic tricks. Yeah, yeah. that's very impressive. <laughs> they feel impressed that you remember that. Uh, and it, it helps to establish a relationship. And relationship building with patients is so important. It not only increases my enjoyment in practicing medicine, but it helps me get a more accurate history. And I think patients leave with the much more satisfied view of, uh, of their visit. Well, I've had the great good fortune of uh, living in the same small town uh, where I started with Mayo Clinic uh, 38 years ago. Uh, while I've been practicing in Rochester for the last 32 years, uh, I still live in that community and, and take care of many of the people in, in the area, and uh, they consider me their family doctor. So I've, I've been able to build and sustain those uh, relationships uh, over the years. One of the things that uh, is uh, increasingly challenged in this day and age is uh, uh, as people move around and are uh, uh, more uh, uh, unsettled, uh, you, you don't have that opportunity. And it, it seems uh, sometimes with the emphasis on uh, customer service, as it's uh, called, uh, the uh, access may trump continuity in, uh, in care. And, uh, but I would maintain that even even with patients that you, you don't know or have never met before, you can rapidly build a, a trusting relationship. In fact, I, it, not a week goes by, and I don't think it's uh, bragging, but uh, uh, patients will ask me, could you be my family doctor? Mm -hmm. Do yeah. you have any openings? Are, are you going to retire soon? <laughs> <laughs> I think... Building a relationship and establishing a relationship quickly is a skill that you only gain with experience. And there are some techniques, and, and we teach them. We teach them to our students uh, to help them with this. But I think as you age, you just uh, you use your experience to, uh, to establish this. I, I would say that you, you, with experience, you realize how important it is. But uh, I think it's... Uh, a, something that can be taught, and B, something that uh, is, is almost uh, amenable to having a checklist. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I've been doing some work on this uh, uh, problem uh, myself, and uh, we've uh, recently done some workshops on, on this. And, uh, uh, and so it, over the last couple of years has prompted me, prompted me to be uh, more intentional uh, as I meet these patients and, and uh, uh, recognize uh, certain uh, types of problems where I have a, a mental checklist. I need to do these things in this order and not skip any of them. Yep, yep. Well, we teach something called PEARLS, uh, P-E-A-R-L-S. It's an acronym. Um, and each one of these helps teach relationship building. Uh, P is for partnership. You know, patients going into the physician or the healthcare provider, it's a frightening experience, especially when they have symptoms, they have no idea what they represent, but they're always fearing the worst. So, you know, when the, as a provider saying, we'll look at this and using a lot of we words, you know, you're a partner with the patient, you're gonna go through this evaluation together. Uh, e is for empathy. Uh, most of that is good eye contact with the patient, not paying too much attention right now to our uh, electronic medical record. 
uh, A, we don't use too much. A is for apology. You know, I'm, uh, I'm terribly sorry you got this. You don't deserve this. Um, our respect. Um, I really appreciate the fact that you've taken the initiative to lose 10 pounds in your, in your diet over the past six months. That's great. Illegitimization. Um, sometimes patients do things that are sort of uh, maybe not all that scientific, but not putting them down for doing that. And then S is probably the most important one, support. You know, I'm going to continue to see you back. I'm going to refer you to the urologist, but I want to see you back afterwards, and we're going to, again, continue to treat this together. So that's been helpful, and if you teach that to the students, eventually they start doing it without thinking about it. But it's, it's a tool for building relationships quickly. I couldn't agree more. Uh, one of the particular areas that uh, we have been uh, working on is the the patient who may have a chronic functional illness, say irritable bowel syndrome, migraine headache, uh, chronic uh, chest pain not related to heart, and, uh, and these uh, often will smolder along and then uh, may have an acute flare. Uh, many of these patients uh, uh, are, are, A, concerned about these symptoms, B, a little more anxious than average, and, uh, and, and C, uh, not fully uh, convinced of the of the original diagnosis uh, that they may have uh, mm-hmm. been uh, had a couple of years ago, and uh, they have a flare. They uh, they call. Uh, they they're understandably concerned. Uh, I think our triage system may uh, heighten that concern sometimes. And uh, the net effect is uh, rather than waiting till tomorrow to see somebody you know, you better get in today and see anybody who's available. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you can you can often uh, uh, just by reviewing the chart and and uh, going through the, uh, the 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 original um, initial uh, conversation, you, you pretty much know what's going on, but. Uh, I've learned the hard way that uh, you, you don't jump in at that point. Right. Today's podcast is sponsored by Mayo Clinic's online CME. Go to ce.mayo.edu slash online CME to see the full list of course offerings. Join us weekly here at Mayo Clinic Talks as we discuss best practices and burning questions. Subscribe today using Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever app you're currently using. Another thing that I've learned, especially with new patients, is if there is a sensitive issue that they're uh, hoping to bring up in the exam or history, uh, they may not do it right away. They're testing you first to see if they can trust you. And uh, so relationship building is extremely important. And I always, at the end of my history, I ask the patient, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you wanted to? And that sometimes that's just enough of a little push to get them to say, yeah, doc, there's one more thing. I've been really worried about it. I've been having this rectal bleeding. I'm really worried it's a colon cancer, but I've been afraid to say anything. You know, we all uh, have heard about the 17 seconds before physicians interrupt uh, patients, Mm -hmm. and and, uh, that's nothing uh, new for any of our listeners. And uh, but what I've found is waiting a minute 
or two minutes before I interrupt uh, is only marginally better. Uh, what's best of all is let there be a silence. If when the patient's done talking, nod or uh, affirm whatever they said, but don't say anything. And uh, uh, someone's going to get anxious about that. And somebody's going to start talking. Yeah. And it's better if it's the patient yeah. rather than the physician. And yeah. uh, you're, you're amazed, I'm amazed at uh, the kinds of things that, uh, that come out of that silence. Yeah, when I'm teaching the students, that is so obvious. They feel it's very uncomfortable to have any silence in the room. And they feel they have to jump in there and say something. And that's, that's not necessarily true. Yeah. Well, it is uncomfortable. But uh, the, the patient <clears throat> will get uncomfortable first. That's true. Yeah, to, to our advantage. Yeah. You know, another issue with the relationship building, especially, again, with new patients, is their first impression of us. Um, they're building their first impression of us within the first minute. And what's the first thing they see about us? That's how fast we walk into the exam room. So no matter how late I'm running, I always think to myself, take your time, knock at the door, and I slowly walk in the exam room. I lose no more than one or two seconds by doing that. If you just rush right in, sit down, and start working, uh, what they're thinking is, man, this guy's in a hurry. He doesn't have much time. We better get to the business here, and I'm not going to have as much time as I hoped I'd have. And no matter how late you're running, take the time to review the chart outside of the room. Yes. And uh, if, if you... Uh, Discipline yourself to do that and, uh, and learn to navigate through the chart and learn to uh, uh, find clues to past history. And, uh, and then you can, you can be well into the examination before you even have to turn on the computer, yeah. much less look at the yeah. record uh, in the yeah. presence of the patient. Yeah, I like to be as prepared as absolutely possible before I go in the exam room. Uh, I don't want any surprises. I mean, sometimes you can't uh, stop surprises because you, you can't predict what a patient's going to say or what they're going to act or ask. But um, uh, test results, I want to know if there's something abnormal because I'm going to bring that up first because it's just torture to have, you know, you're going through the exam results with the patient. It's, well, your blood count's fine, your blood sugar's fine, your hemoglobin's fine. Ooh. Your PSA is markedly elevated. It's not the way to do it. They're worried there's something wrong. And I let them know right up front, this is the test result I'm concerned about. Let's talk about that, and then we can cover the other things. Or if there's nothing abnormal, it's the first thing I say when I walk in the room. I said, well, Mrs. Jones, your tests are perfect. And then you can just see them get this relief over them. And then you can take as much time as you want to explain what a hemoglobin is, why your blood sugar is this, and so forth. Exactly. I also uh, uh, always look, uh, uh, only infrequently find, but uh, if someone has lost weight, I want to know about that yes. and congratulate them uh, or find out if it's a problem. But usually it, congratulations are in order. I also uh, uh, make... Uh, people who are recovering uh, from chemical dependency. I put the, the date of their uh, sobriety, and, and uh, it's a, uh, either way, it's an icebreaker. Yeah. And I can congratulate them on uh, how long it's been. And on the, the other side, remembering uh, uh, family tragedies yeah. and deaths in the family and uh, remembering how long a spouse has been gone, yeah. or in yeah. particular a child is... Yeah. Uh, 
critically important. The weight loss idea is, is fascinating. I, I never thought about that, but that is something so important. I remember seeing a patient, I recognized his name because I knew I'd seen him before, but when I walked in the room, he didn't look like anybody I'd recognized. And as we talked, he said, you didn't say anything about my weight loss. And I says, well, how much have you lost? 185 pounds. <laughs> well, he looked like a different person. That's why I didn't recognize him. So how much better would that have been if I'd noticed that, man, this guy's lost a lot of weight and walk in there and says, you look incredible. What did you do? You're right. So I've learned something just right now from you. I, uh, I, I, there, there's a lot of uh, discussion of, about uh, medical records and you know, what's a, uh, an active problem, what's an inactive problem, uh, not to digress too much, but you know, I think they're all active problems. Yeah. And, and I, uh, I uh, chart and, and keep records that way if I don't have anything additional to say about a particular problem at a particular visit, uh, I don't add anything to it, but I keep it in the, in the chart so I can go back to my last note and, and quickly scan all of the patient's issues and, uh, and bring myself up to speed on everything yeah. before I walk in the room. Another important thing is to listen to our patients. Um, we don't do enough of that. Um, I've shared this story on um, Mayo Clinic Talks in the past, but I'll, I'll share it again. Uh, it's a time when I wasn't completely listening to the patient. Uh, we were going through the history, and uh, we were in the review of systems. No, we were in the family history, I'm sorry. And um, talking about his kids, and we left it on his daughter. So I was writing down some condition his daughter had. As I was writing, he said, he started talking about his dog, and I didn't hear this. He said, Doc, what are the causes of dilated bile ducts? And I assumed he was talking about his daughter because that was on my mind. I said, I thought, man, that, that, whatever it is, it's not good. So I, I didn't want to tell him that. I said, well, you know, I can't really tell you without more information. He says, but she's not eating anything. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this sounds even worse. And then he said, the only thing she'll eat is canned dog food. And I said, what? And then he said, I'm afraid if she doesn't start eating, we're going to have to put her down. I said, sir, what are you talking about? This is your daughter. And he said, no, it's not. It's my dog. So it taught me the value of putting down the pen and listening to the patient when they talk. So. I can't top that. <laughs> <laughs> any, uh, any other things that you have learned in, uh, what, 35, 37 years of practice that you would like to pass on? I, I think um, uh, one, of the, one of the things that uh, we had a great discussion at the last time we did this particular uh, workshop was uh, the, the concept of... Uh, of your expertise and uh, and conveying that to the patient and, and how how you do that and there's two different uh, uh, but related parts to this one uh, is the the temptation uh, when you uh, have uh, taken the history to uh, to as I say show how smart you are mm -hmm. as the, uh, the, the you immediately know what's going on and uh, and you. Uh, are tempted to short circuit the, the the process and say, well, you know, from what you're telling me, I I know what this is, and uh, I would resist that urge. Uh, one of the uh, attendees at the recent workshop, uh, 
been in practice for a number of years, uh, also pointed out, she said, no, I, I tend to do that when I'm uh, fatigued or rushed and, uh, and it never turns out well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so uh, you wanna do the examination, go through all of the steps uh, be- before you uh, uh, suggest a diagnosis. The other part about uh, uh, showing off how smart you are, which also brought up a, a great uh, conversation, is some people uh, were uh, uh, advocating that, that we use uh, a very positive and definitive language. I'm certain this is okay when, when, at, when it's appropriate. Right. I'm certain this is okay. I, I know this will be okay. Other people said, no, no, you, you have to... Uh, have to be completely honest, and uh, if you uh, have uh, uh, any doubt at all, or and, and we know in medicine that there's always some doubt, you you need to convey that. And mm-hmm. I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. You need to do what's uh, best for your sure, uh, yeah. uh, and what you feel most comfortable with. But uh, I I have found uh, over in more recent years that uh, I've uh, uh, it seems like. Uh, if I'm 98 or 99 percent certain, I can say I'm 100 percent, and that resonates yeah, better yeah. with with patients. I think. In a similar uh, vein, uh, letting a patient know how much we know, I'm not afraid to tell a patient that I don't know the answer to their question, or uh, I, uh, I'm not familiar with this medicine you're taking. So we look it up together. You know, we got this CMR right in front of us. It's got a wealth of information in it. And I say, well, let's see what this medication does. And a lot of times they're not aware of what it does. They just know they're taking it. So we learn together. And, I mean, that's how we practice. There's no way we know everything. And we call our colleagues or we look it up when we have an issue that we don't understand. So there's no reason patients shouldn't uh, understand that. It's interesting you mentioned that uh, a group of us uh, here at Mayo Clinic in Education did a, uh, a series of focus groups on curbside consultations mm-hmm. and and uh, one of the one of the, the findings from that, uh, uh, beyond the fact that uh, it affirmed that our specialty colleagues are are by and large happy to be called, uh, and which is what we expected, but we were surprised to find that uh, patients uh, uh, feel included and reassured when you uh, at least phone the specialty colleague in in their presence oh, in, in the room. Oh, they're in the office. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still wax and wane about uh, looking things up. Uh, sometimes right. we'll look them up together. Other times I'll excuse myself uh, <laughs> for some other reason. And if you uh, think it's something you should know, huh? Exactly. Well, well, John, it has been an absolute pleasure discussing this with you. Um, hopefully, we can do this again. Um, if we can come up with some other thoughts that we uh, can actually remember, it's uh, it, it's been uh, it's been fun. One of the things that uh, I tell patients, uh, and I think we all tell patients, that uh, we, I would uh, urge our listeners to examine and uh, not use as automatically as we often do. If, if someone is in or something uh, that is, uh, has something to do with uh, their anxiety or, or uh, uh, unwarranted concern, we're trying to reassure them, uh, we may partly undo all the good work we do with the automatic uh, uh, ending we say well keep an eye on it mm-hmm. you know for many of these patients uh, they don't need to keep an eye on it part of our job is to is to uh, free them of that burden right so 
But let's keep an eye on things and let's get together again soon. Sounds good. I've been speaking with Dr. John Wilkinson, a family physician at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Join us here weekly at Mayo Clinic Talks. You can now access and listen to over 100 different podcasts covering a variety of medical topics pertinent to the primary care provider. You can hear us at ce.mayo.edu, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcast, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.